pray that we want you to plant it in our lives. We want to have ears to hear. We want to have eyes to see. And we want to have hearts to receive what you would say to us, Lord. I do pray again, Father, because I know there's no one here by accident, that you would impact every person, that you would not let one escape without being impacted and implanted with your holy word inside of their heart and soul. And I pray that you would do a work inside of us. Conform us even more. Conform us one more step into the image of the Son of God. For that's our calling and our destiny. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Sorry if I'm a little hoarse from um, worship. I was actually shouting quite a bit. So it might be a little hoarse. First Corinthians chapter 13, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 3 is our uh, beginning text, First Corinthians chapter 3. I want to speak about building on an eternal foundation. That's the title of the message today. One of the great spiritual truths that I've learned in my life, I learned from my builder. You go, how's that? When we were um, building our house, we had a builder that was pretty meticulous. And so we're getting excited when the process is going on. He's got the form boards up, if you've ever been through this process, for the foundation of the house to be laid. So I said, Blake, it must mean you're going to be pouring the concrete for the foundation really soon. He got the form boards up there. He said, no, not yet. He said, we still have several days left before we're going to pour concrete. I said, why? He said, because if you don't do the foundation right, you only have one shot at it, and you can never go back and do it again. If the foundation isn't right, your house can settle, and in a few years, your doors inside won't close. You'll have cracks in the foundation of your house, and you won't. It's going to be really painful to try to fix them then. So we're going to make sure that it's right now. So he said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put a sprinkler on this foundation, the whole thing, and it's going to run for 24 hours. Then I'm going to come out there with a jumping jack. Who knows what a jumping jack is? It's like a jackhammer, but it's got a big flat plate on there, and it's like that. It compacts the soil. So he ran the sprinkler for 24 hours, came out there with a jumping jack himself, went over that whole section of foundation with a jumping jack. I said, oh, that's, that's pretty good. He said, no, it's not yet. He ran the sprinkler again for 24 more hours, came out again with the jumping jack again, compacted it again, and then he said, not yet, because I'm going to have the pest control guy come out here and treat for termites. And he said, I don't do it like most builders do, where they come out and they put down enough chemicals so the inspector can smell it. He goes, I make sure that he takes a couple of hours, a couple of hours. He is going to treat every square inch of dirt inside this foundation with termiticide. He said, you will not have termites in your house. I said, well, praise God. Got the foundation down, house is going up, it's in the framing stage. I'm in the house just talking to him about something or other. We met there. He goes on, he takes his level, and he starts putting it on the studs in the walls in the interior of the house. And he's doing this, and he's doing this, and he's holding the straight edge on there. And then he just rears back, and boom, he starts kicking the studs out of the wall in the house. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? He said, they're not square, and they're not right. And he goes and gets the framing guy, and he goes, fix that. It's not right. 
Here's the lesson that I learned from my builder. The unseen things in our construction are more important than the seen things. The unseen things in our construction, in our spiritual building, in our spiritual life are more important than the things that are seen. We focus on the things that are seen. I've been around construction industry for over 30 years, seen thousands and really, that's not an exaggeration, thousands of homeowners. I've yet to see one go out there and look at the foundation and go, that looks good. That's good. Even the framing. You know what they want to see? The carpet. The drapes. The paint color. That's all pretty, but that's not what holds the house together. That's not what is important. Ultimately, it's not as important as the unseen things. Um, this passage in 1 Corinthians 3, not one that's preached on too often. I'm going to preach on it today. But did you hear what Brandon said, everybody? Do I have your attention? Do you hear what Brandon said? You may, when he read that, you, you should get that book. If, if you have issues with what I call the orphan spirit with God, that means you, you feel a sense of rejection. How many have a hard time if they hear a hard word that's preached or you read in Scripture something that's challenging and you, you receive that as rejection from the Lord? Then you need to read that book. So here's what I want to implore you to do when we read this passage and when we go through what I'm going to say because I believe that this will be extremely helpful for you. Read this passage as a son that has been received and accepted and embraced in Christ Jesus. If he did not spare his own son, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? The Father God is for you 100%. How many know that? In Christ Jesus, not 99, 100%. He gave it all for us. So we're going to read about the judgment seat of Christ and how believers are going to interact with that. And I want to encourage us to build on an eternal foundation. Here's the way I look at it. How many have ever been in school? Okay, if you haven't, don't. don't. Here's what I hated in school. Pop tests and pop quizzes. You weren't aware, didn't have time to prepare for it. I like the teachers that said, look, this is when the test is going to be, and we're actually going to have a review before the test so that you know what to study so you know what's on the test that's what this passage is this is how you should understand it this day is coming for every believer it's coming for you and it's coming for me but he's giving us chance and opportunity and go the test is coming the examination is coming be ready how many can receive that as mercy from the lord that's merciful all right let's read this passage starting in chapter or verse 10 1 Corinthians 3.10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it, but each man must be careful, say careful, careful how he builds on it, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each man's work will become evident. Notice the word will become evident. What does that imply? What does that imply? That there's a lots of things that are hidden until that day. Do you know that Paul says, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting to me because in the culture of, of the church today and in Western culture and in the culture of America in particular, talking about the final judgment is like, when I hear it, 
But do you know that's part of the gospel? And if we withhold that, we withhold part of the gospel. Romans chapter 2, verse 16, if you want to look that up. Um, it says um, that Paul preached that God was going to reveal the secrets of men through Christ Jesus on that day according to my gospel. If you read in the book of Acts, every message, without exception, that the apostles preached that we have in the book of Acts, every one of them included in there, hey, judgment's coming. It's Christ Jesus or it's judgment. Would it be loving to know that the judgment day is coming and to not tell somebody to prepare for that? I don't think it would be. It's part of the gospel. Okay? Verse 13, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it will be revealed. Notice that word. It will be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality. Say quality. Okay, he's looking for quality. It'll test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he will receive a reward. And if any man's work which is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So there are going to be two, two kinds of people at the judgment seat of Christ. Do we agree that he's talking about believers here? Do we agree that he's talking about believers here? Did he say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let me just read it to you, verse 9 through 11, Therefore we also have as our ambition, Paul speaking, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. There, there's a soberness that should go with this, because this is going to happen. This isn't fantasy. This will happen. We're all going to have our lives examined before the Lord Jesus. Now, why, you say? Because here's the deal. He has lavished on us and provided for us so much, a huge reservoir of grace in Christ Jesus has He poured upon us. Huge. And He wants us, we're going to have to give account for that because it's like giving us Fort Knox and saying, what did you do with it? He's given us grace to accomplish everything that He's called us to do. He's given us grace and called us into sonship. He's called us into fellowship with Himself. He has provided everything that we need for life and godliness. Do you agree with all of those things? And so much more. How many believe that you have, you have plumbed the depths of the grace that God has for you in your life? You plumb the depths of it, like you, there's, no, there's no more. No, I don't think any of us can say that. There is such amount of grace, so we're going to have to give account for it. He has a calling upon each of our lives, and at that day, we're going to get examined. We're going to go before the examination, and here's what the examination is going to look like. There's going to be gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble and, or straw, and those things that can be burned are going to burn up, and those things that remain are going to be what our reward is. That's going to happen, for real. Um, when I came to Southeastern University back when they just had invented the wheel and fire, um, there was a professor who, he actually just left there. He was on staff at First Assembly. I don't know, Dave, if you knew him, but Crandall Miller, you know Crandall? He was a counselor, but he'd been a pastor several times, and he was also a professor at Southeastern years ago. Just before I got there, he left. Um, no, no relationship there, I'm sure, but... 
he, um, he was pondering this passage of Scripture, and he had a, a vision. This has been helpful for me. And so I want to just read you. It's not long. I want to read you what he saw. He said, I suddenly had a very vivid picture of being at the judgment seat of Christ. I stood in heaven watching as the works of others were brought out and piled up. They were then tested by fire. It all looked good for me because I had served God for many years, preached hundreds of times, served as a pastor, taught ministers in seminary, joined three churches, was baptized, had perfect attendance at Sunday school, and kept busy serving the Lord. Suddenly my name was called and I stepped forward with confidence. They brought out my pile of works, he declared, and I noticed large holes in it and wondered why. Then the answer came, the holes are the things you should have done and didn't. I was devastated. Not everything was gold, silver, or precious stones. Wood, hay, and stubble were mixed in the pile. My perfect Sunday school attendance was fuel for the fire. Why was this not a good work, I questioned. My mom got this reward because she's the one who pushed me out of bed and took me. There were holes in my prayer life. Why? When I did anything other than God's perfect will, that work became wood and hay. There were instances when I should have worked, but instead I prayed, and when I should have prayed, but instead I worked. My preaching was flawed. I had taken credit at times when a service went well, even though I had been careless and not properly prepared. Things were not as I expected. They brought the fire to my pile, and I watched it burn. Tears began to roll down my face, and out of the ashes, an angel took the remains and formed for me a crown out of what was left, a small thimble crown. Suddenly the scene changed and I saw myself beside streets of transparent gold. I saw Jesus coming. I watched the saints dropping their crowns at his feet. And my heart broke when Christ came over to me. I dropped down to my knees and laid my thimble crown before him and said, this is how much I loved you. That's pretty sobering. So here's here's my resolution as a son and not as an orphan. Okay, that day's going to happen for each one of us. The hidden things in our life are things that nobody else around us sees because we're good at keeping the exterior pretty good, but the Lord sees the whole big picture. And so how many believe that you have wood, hay, and stubble in parts of your pile? Okay, here's, here's my resolution. I'm, I'm on a mission to burn it now. I want to burn it now. I want to burn it now. The motives in me are for self-exaltation, the motives in me to be seen, anything that is going to be burned, I want to burn it now. So I want to go before the Lord. I said, Lord, whatever's in me that isn't of you, that isn't from a heart of devotion to you, that isn't birthed out of your grace inside of me, let's burn it now. So, so here's, here's an exhortation before we're going to get into it. I, I'm going to get into how to pass the test, okay? I believe the Scripture reveals the things that the teacher wants. How many like a teacher that tells you what they want to know on the test? Here's good news. Here's good news for you, son and daughter. Jesus tells us in Scripture what he's looking for that is gold, silver, and precious stones. He tells us. And I'm going to tell you what that is. But here's, here's a couple of exhortations. This is what I find helpful. Expose your wood, hay, and stubble to the Lord and expose it to friends as well. 
Confess your what? Confess your what? Con no, not false. Confess your what? Your sins. It's not your mistakes. A mistake is when you step on somebody's shoe by accident. That's not what a sin is. All right? Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. So exposure to the light. Here's Paul in Ephesians 5 when he says, whatever is exposed to the light becomes light somehow. So what I do, I just encourage you, you do whatever you want. But I'm saying exposure in getting rid of it. Let us burn now. You know what? The Holy Spirit has a fire. How many know that? The Holy Spirit has a fire of sanctification that He will burn inside of our own life. But you have to be honest enough to put it out there and go, God, I'm a jerk! The way that I talk to people sometimes, the way I'm so, so, so. Whatever it is, here's, here's my thing. I take cards, like I take, I take index cards, and when I pray sometimes I lay on my back in my study because I'm so tired. But I hold it up to the Lord. I say, Father, this is in me. Let's burn it. I confess it to you. I forsake it with your help and by your grace. Let's burn it! I don't want it in me anymore. I don't want it in me. I don't want to try to hide it. How many know that hiding stuff is hard work? So it's even harder when you have kids. Like You can't hide it from them. You get up and you're grumpy and you've got a bad attitude. They know it. You know, Other people come and you're, oh, hi, how are you? And your kids are like, who's this? So children are one of God's great sanctifying agents in our life because like, they know. Who, then you look over and see them looking at you and you go, okay, God, back to the card again. Um, the Father will help us to get the junk out of our lives. And, and let me tell you, there's things that keep coming up. Count it as the Father's mercy when he puts you in a situation where you stick your foot in your mouth and where you look like a jerk. Just count that as God's goodness and mercy to you. I just say, Father, thank you for showing me that now. Let's get that out now. I don't want to have to deal with it here in the 1 Corinthians 3 context. I'd rather deal with it now and so I confess my sin before you if I need to. This is how we do it as community. We burn each other's stuff. We help burn each other's stuff. Hey, brother, can you pray with me? I've got this straw inside of me like I can't seem to get it out. Can you help me? And even in the exposure of that, it helps us. Can I, can I exhort us? Like, listen to me. I guarantee you it's better to get it out now. It's better to come clean now. Here's what I tell people. Like, people, Some people get into a thing. It started in the garden where they, they're hiding from God as if he didn't know what happened. Where are you? We're hiding. Why are you hiding? Sin. Don't, don't, don't hide. It's too hard. Here, here's a word of wisdom for you. It doesn't matter who knows. It doesn't matter who knows. Your stuff in your life, it doesn't matter who knows. It matters that he knows and that he is for you and wants to get it out. As long as you have the posture of don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody, you're going to keep that inside of you. But when you say, you know what? I'm ashamed of it. It's not right, but I confess it. God, can you help me? How, how many know that if, you, if, if somebody came to you, just answer this question for yourself. If somebody came to you in this church and said to you, can, can, can I talk to you for a minute? Yeah? What is it? I've got this issue and bondage in my life. 
I really want to get it out. Can you, would you pray with me? How many would feel like, oh, of course I will. How many would relate and go, yeah, I've had stuff like that in me too. This is God. How many would feel that way? This is community where we help each other. I'm not saying that if you're a man and you're dealing with lust at a particular one, you don't go to a woman for that. Okay, use a little bit of common sense here. Okay, but, but what I'm saying is go to the men's group. Go to these brothers. Say, I'm struggling with porn. Like I can't seem to break free of it. Will you pray with me? Will you help me? Will you make me accountable? Burn it now. Burn it now. Burn it now. Burn it. So here's, here's my premise and, and what I want to talk about. Um, I believe that if we live Listen, listen to me carefully here. If we live for what Jesus died for, then we will have nothing to fear at the judgment seat of Christ. If we live for what Jesus died for, then we will have nothing to fear at the judgment seat of Christ. If we live for what he gave his blood for. There's specific things in Scripture that he said he gave his life for these particular three things that I'm going to talk about this morning. I gave my life for these three things. Then I want to guarantee you that those three things are gold. They're gold. He is all in on that, and that's not going to be a wasted life. That's not going to be something that's going to be burned. That's going to be something that has eternity in it because what Jesus gave his life for are the things that he values most deeply, I want to suggest to you. And so what I want us to do today is if we need to have a readjustment of focus in our own lives as far as what our priorities are, then let's get that now. How many are good with knowing what's on the test and having to be, and being able to, to prepare beforehand? Okay, there's two of us. We'll, we'll, we'll pull, maybe we can pull the rest of you along here as we get going here. What Je- if we live for what Jesus died for, we will have nothing to fear at the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, Revelation chapter 5. I want to talk about three specific things that Jesus died for. Do you, do you know, how many believe in reading Paul's writings that he lived in the light of eternity like this. How many believe that he had one eye on that day? He knew. He knew. You know, you know how I know that? This is how Paul characterized his ministry in a couple of different places. One is Colossians chapter 1. He says, we proclaim him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present, listen, Listen to the word. This is a huge word for Paul. So that we may present every man to Christ. Who is he presenting him to? So that we may present every man complete in Christ. 2 Corinthians 11, he says, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. What was Paul's view of his ministry? When I die... I'm going to say to Jesus, I'm presenting these pure virgins to you. I'm presenting these complete men to you. He had a view of his ministry being fulfilled when he could present to Jesus what he wanted and what his heart desired. 
Are, are, are you with me? Are you with me? Do you, do you know that on that day we're going to present to him what our life was, the compendium of it? How many are glad that you have a chance to refocus if we need to? Okay, let's just, let's just go there. Um, Revelation chapter 5. I saw, I, n- I never tire of r- reading this passage. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back and sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who's worthy to open the book and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. And I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw in the midst of the throne with the four living creatures and elders a lamb standing, freshly slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he'd taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy! Are you to take the book and to break its seals? For you were slain, and you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. And then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them I heard saying, Everything, everywhere, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever. And the four living creatures kept saying amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. If we could breathe some of this air for real, in heaven, the weight of the worthiness of the Lamb of God when he's on the scene, sucks all of the air out of the room and all of the devotion and all of the affection of every being that has ever lived in heaven, earth, and under the earth. It's is poured out to him in worship. You don't have to encourage anybody to worship in heaven. There is such a weight of his worthiness, such a greatness of the gravity of who he is that he draws all attention. He's, it's like the black hole in space. The gravity is so great, not even light can escape from it. That's who Jesus is, his worthiness is so amazing. I, I remember an encounter I had with this passage of scripture when I was sitting at my desk years ago that changed the course of how I thought about my life because my theology in those days was basically um, the Christian life is about um, having abundant life, having the good life, having all the blessings of God and having um, everything basically that's good and having nothing that's hard or difficult. 
Um, that was pretty much the essence of my theology. And I read this one day. You might, you might think that's a hyperbole, but that, I mean, boil it all down. I read this passage, and the Holy Spirit, the weight, how many have had the Holy Spirit just hit your heart like that, and you're just like, oh, my God. I just put my head in my hands, and I began to cry. And I said, God, I have been spending my life trying to get you to give me these things. And I should have been spending my life getting you these things because you are the one who's worthy of all of them. I was upside down on my head. See, everything changes. Nobody in the throne room here is texting or playing games on their phone. Nobody's distracted because the weight of his worthiness, the the gravity of his greatness of who he is, is just all-consuming. You know what that tells me? This is the cry of my heart. I hope you can hear it as a cry. God, we only taste such a little bit and feel such a little bit of the greatness of who you are and of your worthiness. Like, or we couldn't live like we live. We're so easily distracted and enamored by trivial things that have no meaning at all, zero. Our culture, can I just say it in love? Our culture is obsessed with the trivial. Obsessed with it. Our devices are trivial. We're obsessed with the trivial. And heaven is filled with the real and with what is full of worth and weight. You know, the Hebrew word, the Hebrew word for glory is the word kavod, which means heavy. You put God in a scale. It's like putting a boulder against a pencil. Boom! Everything else is gone. Here's the deal. We don't see the triviality of what we're obsessed with because we don't feel the weight of who he is. We taste it. We feel it sometimes in worship. We feel the weight of that. But like it's fleeting. How how many are with me in this? This is the longing of my heart. Like, Father, can you somehow in our lives and in our church and in our body, can you come with your weightiness so that we are not so easily distracted with trivial, stupid stuff? Because in heaven, everything becomes clear. The air is totally clear. Like, everything exists for you. This is the song they sing. You made everything for your own pleasure. Everything exists for you. I exist for you. What do you want me to do? Anything you want me to do, I'll do it. Lord, what do you want me to do? I just want to do what you want me to do. Nothing else matters. I just want to please you. It's seeing, it's feeling the weight of his worthiness. If we live in the light of that, when we stand before him on examination day, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. If our life was built around our stuff, around our reputation, around our entertainment, I mean, people, can I, can I just say, I live in America too. I was born and raised here. Like, I get it. But 
entertainment's a god in our society. It's an idol. And we bow down to it too much. We bow down to the trivial too much. We put too much weight and give too much of our time. Redeeming the time. Like, I just, I don't want to stand before, I think about this, Jesus. I don't want to stand before you on that day. He goes, well, you spent 85% of your time on stuff that has absolutely no meaning at all. No, no, nothing in it has eternity. I, I, I don't, I don't want to go there. I want to go there. I'm not putting some kind of legalist. I'm not, I'm not telling you do this or don't do that. I'm just, I'm just asking and then putting it out there like, can we examine these things in the light of the truth of who he is and say, what is my life all about? Because look, I'm getting to that place now where like I'm seeing the horizon. I don't know how many years I got left. Maybe I've got 40. I doubt it. But you know what? Even if you're young and you got 50 years, that's nothing. What's going to matter on that day is whether we can say, and he says to us, well done. You did what I wanted you to do. You spent your life well. You showed my worth and my worthiness by the choices that you made every single day. You showed that I was your treasure, not something else. want to live that way. You, you, know, you know what? I need your help. We need to have a culture that treasures Jesus. That treasures him. I don't mean likes him. Because you see the way heaven is here? Everything is revolving around him. Like if, if you like small doses of Jesus, then you're not going to like heaven. Just give me a small dose on Sunday morning, and I'm good. I'm going to go back to my life, and I'll get That's not what heaven is. The weight of his worthiness is so magnificent and heavy that everything circles around him, and it rightly should, because everything that was ever created was made for his pleasure. The gospel, may I tell you, we get included in it, and it's so glorious, but it's not about us. The gospel is about him. And he purchased with his blood for God. Men, women from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every ethnicity. Since his heart goes out after those that he has chosen, let our hearts connect with his heart and go out after what he has chosen. Let's go. Let's go. Let's connect with the heart. Can I, can I say, he wants people, but he's, he's not just talking about a conversion experience, saying, just get somebody to pray the prayer with me. I, I knew a guy one time who was an evangelist, and he's like, I can get 40 people every day to pray the prayer. I'm like, okay, where's the disconnect? Like, this, that, this isn't what, making What? All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore. Go therefore. And what? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then what? And then what? Teaching them the doctrine. No. 
teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you. There's a huge gap between teaching them the doctrine and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. There's a huge gap. That's the gap between nominal Christianity and discipleship. But you know what? Can I tell you something? It's difficult. Discipleship is difficult in a culture dominated by feeling. Because the cross never feels good. The cross never feels good. If you want to be my disciple, take up your pillow and blanket and follow me. It really won't be too hard, I promise you. I'll give you a teddy bear too. Jesus teddy bears. I've been in the meetings where they gave out Jesus teddy bears, all right? No, take up your cross, which is the instrument of... When he said that to the disciples, they had no idea of wearing a necklace with a cross around it. They had no idea of having a Bible stamp with a little cross on it. Like, their idea of a cross was they saw people along the road that the Romans had crucified and nailed up and let them die there because they were rebels against the Roman Empire. And when he said, take up your cross and follow me, you can better believe his disciples went... What? Yeah, you have to take it up every day. The place of execution. See, because death, we follow in the footsteps of the master. Death is where life is released. That's what Paul said in our ministry. Come on, everybody aspires to ministry. Oh, this is glorious. They never taught this in Bible school. (laughs) Death works in us so that life may work in you. That's the trade-off. If you're wanting to go into ministry, you're choosing to die. So that his resurrection life can somehow come out of your donkey's body. Do I speak too plainly or do I tell the truth? It's true. Here's 2 Corinthians 5.15. He died for all so that purpose. They who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Jesus wants disciples. See, obedience is not optional, and grace is not a pass for disobedience. Can I, can I say that again? Obedience is not optional, and grace is not a pass for disobedience. Here's what grace is. Please hear my heart. (laughs) Listen to my heart. I'm no legalist, very far from it. But let me tell you something. The gospel is grace from beginning to end. Here's how the gospel begins. I could never do it. But he did it. But it doesn't end there. I still could never do it. And he does it in me still. The gospel is repugnant to the natural man in one, for one reason, in that it's the most humiliating, in a sense, humbling message of, like, we're not adequate. Dude, as Americans, we want to be adequate. We're not. Even Paul himself, who went to the third heaven, he was pretty good. How many believe Paul had a good resume? How many would put your resume against Paul's right now? <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 3. 
We do not count ourselves adequate for anything, nothing. But our adequacy is from God. You know why he intended the gospel to be that way? It's a gospel of grace. It's because whatever is accomplished through you and through me, everybody, at least in heaven, knows he did it. He did it. It's not you. This is why it's so foolish, the culture of celebrity junk that we have in ministry. It's stupid. Because the reality is, everything is a gift. Like Paul asked the Corinthians, what do you have that you didn't receive? Answer, nothing. And if you did receive it, then why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? Oh, I'm the great this or that. I'm the chief apostle. You're nothing. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 of himself and Apollos, again, Paul. I planted Apollos water. It's God who gave the increase. For we are nothing. Paul said it of himself. We're nothing. Where is this culture of exaltation of men for a gift that they did not earn or that Jesus? You know, the Lord, when he can actually work through somebody, it's because he's worked for, you know this in your own life, he's worked for years and years to get you out of the way. Then he can finally do something, and it's taken him forever because of our stubbornness and our own flesh and our own foolishness. And then we're up there going, look at me. Idiot. Whatever's good. You ought to look in the mirror and say to yourself every day, whatever is good in me is from Jesus. Because that is the truth. And whatever good comes out of me, it's because of Jesus. Here's 1 Peter 4, verse 10. Whoever has the gift of speaking, let him speak the oracles of God. And he goes on down. Whatever your gift is, flow in that gift for the edification of those around you. So that in everything, and through the strength of God, so that in everything, God may be glorified. Because everybody knows it's his strength, it's his gift, it's everything from him. And he does it. Here's the amazing thing about Jesus. He's so humble that he's going to reward us for what he did through us. <laughs> yeah, you resisted me for 50 years, and then I finally got to do what I wanted to do, but I'm going to give you a reward for that. Like, do you wonder why people are going to throw their crowns at his feet in heaven? Everybody's going to know it. No, no, you did it. No, you're the one who's worthy. No, you're the one who deserves glory and honor and power and might and dominion and strength forever and ever. It's you who deserve it. Man, this, this, this celebrity junk in the church is just nauseating. I believe heaven vomits over it. It's, be, listen, it's not true. Honoring is one thing for somebody's labor, okay? But, but this, this, it's far different than this worship junk. It's, it's just absolute idiocy. And I'll tell you what, that's, that'll be first on the pile when it burns. I don't know, I probably better stop before I get in too much trouble. <laughs> I s these gatherings of apostles and, pro you know, I believe there's true giftings there. You don't misunderstand me. But what I, I call it the peacock thing. Where they're all going to strut around. Dude, where did you get that? He gave it to you, not so that you could strut around and have a bodyguard and live in luxury, so you could lay down your life as a servant. Yeah. 
so you could use your gift to be a blessing to the body because it isn't yours. It's going to burn, I tell you. It's going to burn. Am I in trouble already? Let's get rid of the peacock thing. I just want to light those feathers on fire. (laughs) You're the chief apostle. You're the ultimate prophet. No, burn that. So how do we connect? Jesus has a heart for the people that he's called. Verse 9, we read in Revelation 5. You purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and kindred and nation. So let me just give you five quick suggestions on how to connect with that. So again, don't forget what we're talking about. I'm talking about building our life in such a way that the building that we build is not going to burn on the day of judgment. Okay? First of all, be a disciple yourself. Here's our problem in church so often. We become familiar with the words of Scripture, but we don't do them. We don't apply them to our life. It takes a fight to do that. Because if we can quote the verse, then we've got it, and the Lord says, yeah, but where is it in your life? See, I can quote 1 John 3, 16. It says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought also to lay down our lives for one another. But he's like not impressed with my memory. He wants to know, when's the last time you acted like a servant and actually laid your life down for somebody else? This is a problem in relationships so often. You know, my wife and I, we had her mom live with us for 15 years and my mom after that lived with us for eight years. So we had mother-in-laws in the house for 23 straight years. How many groaned out there when you? <laughs> so there were some challenges, honestly. I mean, we loved them, but it, you know, uh, it was it was some difficulties. So, on one occasion, um, and, and I, I asked my wife if it was okay if I shared this because I wouldn't do it otherwise. For all you ladies out there that are feeling like well, you better have asked her, I, I did. <laughs> so. My mom um, had some ways about her. She's with Jesus now, and all of those ways are gone. Um, <laughs> uh, but she could, she could manipulate, and she would try to manipulate through anger. And, um, you know, it was, just, it was just a constant kind of a deal going in and out of that. And so since I was out working, you know, all day, Diane would get most of the brunt of that being out of the house and trying to help my mom and, and all this thing. My mom had MS, and so she needed help. And um, so she, you know, she was getting a little bit, getting under her skin. And um, so she confronted my mom and said, you know, hey, we need to stop this whole, you know, manipulating through anger and throwing fits and all that stuff. And so my mom says back at her, no, you're the one who's manipulating through anger. And um, she's like, well, I don't think so, but I'll, I'll consider it. So she came and asked me, Diane asked me, and I laughed out loud. I said, I said no, that, that's my mom's MO. That's not you, babe. Um, but, you know, she went and prayed, and 
she said, Lord, is there any of that in me? And uh, honestly, from my perspective, there wasn't I, that I could see. But the Lord said to her, yeah, there is a little bit of that in you. You know, from maybe 2%, maybe, I mean, I, I couldn't see it. And so she was just praying about it. And here's what the Lord spoke to her heart. This goes back to that verse of practicing the word of God. The Lord spoke to her heart and said, uh, yeah, there, there is a little bit of that in you. He said, in order for there to be reconciliation, someone has to die. So she got out. She wrote a letter to my mom apologizing for that what was in her. Ask her, please forgive her and please pray for her. And, um, there was reconciliation through death. But the 2% died for the 98. So often in relationships, we think, the tension here, Lord, is because of knucklehead. <laughs> I mean, th this, is, this is premarital counseling, one or this is marital counseling 101. When they, when they come and they sit before you on the couch, th this, is, this is every time. He does this, he does that, he does this, he doesn't do that, he doesn't do that. Now, I know that I'm not perfect. And I'm like, well, thank you for clearing that up. We were starting to wonder. <laughs> but in the end of the day, for reconciliation to happen, somebody has got to die. Humble yourself. Yeah, but Lord, I'm only 2%. Like, that's not fair. And he answers, it wasn't fair when I went to the cross because I had 0% fault. But I still died for your reconciliation. Can you follow me? That's why he said, love is laying down your life. He said we ought to do it. Like, I mean, for, okay, so folks, let's just talk about this one example. Like, in this room, can we honestly say before the Lord, yes, God, I lay down my life for my brothers and sisters. I do it. And, and, and I don't think we'd see a lot of hands. But here's what I'm saying. We could throw that verse out. We could quote that verse. But here's, here's the deal. Are we disciples? Are we obeying? Are we getting before the Lord and going, God, this seems so ludicrous to me. Like, this is a violation of it. He's like, it's okay. Can we lay down our life? There's all kinds of scripture like that. Jesus calls us to be disciples. You know, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew chapter 7, starting verse 24. Here's the parable that Jesus gives after all of that beautiful, magnificent teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. We're like, oh man, that was so good. I love it. He's like, wait, 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 wait. I want to tell you something. Here's a wise man. He builds his house upon the rock. When the winds come, the rains descend, and the floods come, his house stands. Here's a fool. He builds the same house, but he builds it on the sand. And when the rains come, the floods descend, that house is collapsed. What's the difference, Jesus said? The one who hears my word and does it. He's the one that's built on the rock. So much, honestly, so much teaching in our churches is like building on sand. Not because there's a fault in the word, but because 
Like we don't do it. We think because we talk about something that we've done it. And we need to take a real good look in the mirror and go, is this actually real in my life or not? Do I actually do this or not? We need to have wrestling sessions where we go, the Bible says pray without ceasing. What does that mean for me when I work like a dog for 60 hours in my job? How do I do that? Wrestle. He wants us to wrestle. Keep the communication line open. When you have those times, give. The Lord told me before, just with my schedule, hey, the widow gave more than all the rest. I just, I'm just asking you to give what you have. Put it in the plate. Put it in the plate where I'm so tired that the only way that I can pray literally is to walk because I'll fall asleep if I sit down for five minutes. Like, I'm not exalting myself. I'm just saying, this is what the kind of wrestle we have to have. Anything good in me or you is from Jesus. Are we disciples? Encourage one another to be all in with God. Some of the most powerful um, strengthenings that we can all point to those times where somebody came up and encouraged us and say, I see Jesus in you. You go, really? Where is he? <laughs> That's encouraging. We can encourage one another. Be all in with God. God's going to help you. God's going to strengthen you. God's going to lift you up. You can do it with his power. Come on, you can do it. Don't faint. Don't give up. The grace of God is sufficient for you. Come on. Encourage. Pray can pray for the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers and we can be the laborers I want to tell you something else it's near and dear to my heart if we believe that the harvest is precious to Jesus and it's gold we need to put our money where our mouth is we need to put our money where our mouth is we're like God I was all about the harvest and everything you really let me see your checkbook you were all about, let's see, you spent $500 last month on entertainment and you put in 10 for missions. I don't know. It's not, I'm just saying, can, can we be honest and say, well, are we disciples or not? There's this gap between believing right doctrine. Oh, I know the doctrine of the end times. I know the doctrine of the training. Good, that's good. The question that Jesus asked, though, wasn't, did you know the doctrine right? Oh, I'm, I'm not saying that's unimportant. It is important. But what Jesus got after is our life has to be built on the rock by doing what he said. Come on, join me in the wrestle. Right. It's almost 12. You guys with me? Can, can I just finish up here or do you want me to quit early? It'll be on you then. All right, Titus. This, these, these last two points are going to go quickly. So, I'm saying let's focus on what Jesus died for and, and gave his life for. That's a sure bet that those things are not going to burn in the day of judgment. It's a sure bet. If we give our lives to the things that Jesus died for, it's a sure bet those things are not going to burn on the day of judgment. Okay, Titus chapter 2. This is, might be surprising to some of you. Titus chapter 2 verse 14. And we'll do these fairly quickly here. Who gave himself, that is Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Notice this last phrase. What is it? Zealous for good works. Would, would you, okay, I won't ask for a show of hands, but would you classify yourself as being zealous for good works? 
That means being on fire. That means being passionate. That means being loaded, like I want to do good works. What kind of good works are we talking about? There's, there's all kinds of good works out there. Can, can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, you who have young families, it is a very good work to raise up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's not a waste of time. That's eternity in that. There's eternity in that. Sometimes there's more eternity in that than going to church. I'm telling you the truth. That's not a waste. You mom who's laboring with little children around your feet and you barely have time to take a breath, you're not laboring in vain. You're sowing into eternity. That will never burn at the judgment. The Lord's going to say, look at that disciple. You took the time to raise them up. The hours you prayed over them and they're mine now. That'll never burn. Take care of the poor. Take care of the needy. Visit the widow and orphan and their affliction, the prisoners in prison. All of those things are good works. Here's my question. On that day, I'm telling you right now, those things won't burn. They're fireproof. You're not wasting your time in that. I know it's not the same as having the big peacock thing. <laughs> Trust me, the feathers are going to burn. There's going to be smoke from the feathers. <laughs> the good works that are done in secret, listen, the most important thing about your life are the things that only God sees that we don't see. The most important thing about your life is the things that God sees and we don't see. All right? And then, lastly, I just want to read Ephesians 5, and I'm going to close. Just give me another five minutes, if you will. Thank you for your patience. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church, gave himself up for her. That means he gave his life for her. Why did he do that? So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. You know what Jesus loves and what he gave his life for? Was to have a bride that is as passionate about holiness as he is. That is as passionate about single-hearted devotion. He wants a bride that is not enamored with a hundred other lovers, but has eyes only for him, and whose heart is only for him, and who is willing to set aside the things that would defile her to have a closer relationship with him. In the church, to our hurt, I say it in the Western church, because in persecuted church, they don't do this. But in the Western church, to our own hurt, we have minimized the power and the beauty and the desirability of holiness before the Lord. And it's to our own hurt. It makes us weak. It's like pouring water in your gasoline. It dilutes the power and the beauty and the purity of what he's called us to be. So we imbibe tons and tons of worldly stuff into our soul and our mind. And we're not without spot or wrinkle. And the goal is to see Jesus in all of his worthiness and his weight and his beauty. And say, God, everything on this earth is like dung compared to you. Paul said in Philippians 3, you know the passage. 
whatever things were gained to me. Those things I've counted as lost. Yes, more than that. I count everything to be lost, to be refuse, to be dung compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Can, can I beseech you before the Lord just to ask him about stuff in your life and say, Lord, is this defiling? Many of you already know it is defiling, but because everybody else around you does it, you think it's okay. And he's calling you to be a chaste virgin for himself. It doesn't matter if people think you're weird. They already do. <laughs> what matters is what he sees. What matters is what he sees. Who will join with me and say, God, make me a chaste virgin, beautiful in your sight? Come on, lift, lift your hands if you want that. Lord, examine us. Father, we thank you for the grace that you have given us such mercy to show us the test is coming. But I thank you so much more that your Father heart and your great grace has been given to us to examine ourselves now. For your word says that if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us grace to be honest and to examine ourselves and to have a passion and a fire to get rid of the junk out of our lives that would burn on that day so that when we stand before you, there will be no shame, nothing to be ashamed of. But what we have amassed and what we have built on is a foundation that is sure and solid and will last forever and that will glorify you. And Lord, that the, the, the accumulation of our life and our life's choices before you would be a loud shout saying, Worthy are you! Worthy are you! You're worthy of my every breath. You're worthy of all of my energy. You're worthy of all of my money. You're worthy of all of my affection. You're worthy. And I gladly give you everything because it says nothing compared to the value of knowing who you are. Give us that heart. Awaken in us the bride's heart, Lord. Awaken in us the bride's eyes that only have eyes for you. Awaken inside of us the heart that cries and pines not for more entertainment but for you.